Section 31 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lonnie Decker. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 1. Book the Third. Chapter 3. A Burden Makes a Rough Road Rougher. It was little more than four hours since the hooker had sailed from the creek of Portland, leaving the boy on the shore. During the long hours since he had been deserted and had been journeying onwards, he had met but three persons of that human society into which he was, perchance, about to enter. A man, the man on the hill, a woman, the woman in the snow, and the little girl whom he was carrying in his arms. He was exhausted by fatigue and hunger, yet advanced more resolutely than ever, with less strength and an added burden. He was now almost naked. The few rags which remained to him, hardened by the frost, were sharp as glass and cut his skin. He became colder, but the infant was warmer. That which he lost was not thrown away, but was gained by her. He found out that the poor infant enjoyed the comfort which was to her the renewal of life. He continued to advance. From time to time, still holding her securely, he bent down, and taking a handful of snow he rubbed his feet with it, to prevent their being frostbitten. And at other times, his throat feeling as if it were on fire, he put a little snow in his mouth and sucked it. This for a moment assuaged his thirst, but changed it into a fever, a relief which was an aggravation. The storm had become shapeless from its violence. Deluges of snow are possible. This was one. The paroxysm scourged the shore at the same time that it uptore the depths of ocean. This was, perhaps, the moment when the distracted hooker was going to pieces in the battle of the breakers. He traveled under this north wind, still toward the east, over wide surfaces of snow. He knew not how the hours had passed. For a long time he had ceased to see the smoke. Such indications are soon effaced in the night. Besides, it was past the hour when fires are put out. Or he had, perhaps, made a mistake, and it was possible that neither town nor village existed in the direction in which he was traveling doubting he yet persevered two or three times the little infant cried then he adopted in his gait a rocking movement and the child was soothed and silenced she ended by falling into a sound sleep shivering himself he felt her warm he frequently tightened the folds of the jacket round the babe's neck so that the frost should not get in through any opening and that no melted snow should drop between the garment and the child. The plain was unequal. In the declivities into which it sloped, the snow, driven by the wind into the dips of the ground, was so deep in comparison with a child so small that it almost engulfed him, and he had to struggle through it half-buried. He walked on, working away the snow with his knees. Having cleared the ravine, he reached the highlands swept by the winds, where the snow lay thin. Then he found the surface a sheet of ice. 
The little girl's lukewarm breath, playing on his face, warmed it for a moment, then lingered and froze in his hair, stiffening it into icicles. He felt the approach of another danger. He could not afford to fall. He knew that if he did so, he should never rise again. He was overcome by fatigue and the weight of the darkness would, as with the dead woman, have held him to the ground, and the ice glued him alive to the earth. He had tripped upon the slopes of precipices, and had recovered himself. He had stumbled into holes, and he had got out again. Thenceforward the slightest fall would be death. A false step opened for him a tomb. He must not slip. He had not strength to rise even to his knees. Now everything was slippery. Everywhere there was rime and frozen snow. The little creature whom he carried made his progress fearfully difficult. She was not only a burden, which his weariness and exhaustion made excessive, but was also an embarrassment. She occupied both his arms, and to him who walks over ice both arms are a natural and necessary balancing power. He was obliged to do without this balance. He did without it and advanced, bending under his burden, not knowing what would become of him. This little infant was the drop causing the cup of distress to overflow. He advanced, reeling at every step as if on a springboard, and accomplishing without spectators miracles of equilibrium. Let us repeat that he was, perhaps, followed on this path of pain by eyes unsleeping in the distances of the shadows, the eyes of the mother and the eyes of God. He staggered, slipped, recovered himself, took care of the infant, and, gathering the jacket about her, he covered up her head staggered again, advanced, slipped, then drew himself up. The cowardly wind drove against him. Apparently he made much more way than was necessary. He was, to all appearance, on the plains where Bencleve's farm was afterwards established, between what are now called spring gardens and the parsonage house. Homesteads and cottages occupy the place of wastelands. Sometimes less than a century separates a step from a city. Suddenly, a lull having occurred in the icy blast which was blinding him, he perceived, at a short distance in front of him, a cluster of gables and of chimneys shown in relief by the snow. The reverse of a silhouette, a city painted in white on a black horizon, something like what we call nowadays a negative proof. Roofs, dwellings, shelter! He had arrived somewhere at last. He felt the ineffable encouragement of hope. The watch of a ship which has wandered from her course feels some such emotion when he cries, Land ho! He hurried his steps. At length, then, he was near mankind. He would soon be amidst living creatures. There was no longer anything to fear. There glowed within him that sudden warmth, security that out of which he was emerging or was over. Thenceforward there would no longer be night, nor winter, nor tempest. It seemed to him that he had left all evil chances behind him. The infant was no longer a burden. He almost ran. His eyes were fixed on the roofs. There was life there. He never took his eyes off them. 
A dead man might gaze thus on what might appear through the half-opened lid of his sepulchre. There were the chimneys of which he had seen the smoke. No smoke arose from them now. He was not long before he reached the houses. He came to the outskirts of a town, an open street. At that period, bars to streets were falling into disuse. The street began by two houses. In those two houses neither candle nor lamp was to be seen, nor in the whole street, nor in the whole town, so far as I could reach. The house to the right was a roof rather than a house. Nothing could be more mean. The walls were of mud, the roof was of straw, and there was more thatch than wall. A large nettle, springing from the bottom of the wall, reached the roof. The hovel had but one door, which was like that of a dog kennel, and a window, which was but a hole. All was shut up. At the side, an inhabited pigsty told that the house was also inhabited. The house on the left was large, high, built entirely of stone, with a slated roof. It was also closed. It was the rich man's home, opposite to that of a pauper. The boy did not hesitate. He approached the great mansion. The double-folding door of massive oak studded with large nails was of the kind that leads one to expect that behind it there is a stout armory of bolts and locks. An iron knocker was attached to it. He raised the knocker with some difficulty, for his benumbed hands were stumps rather than hands. He knocked once. No answer. He struck again, and two knocks. No movement was heard in the house. He knocked a third time. There was no sound. He saw that they were all asleep, and did not care to get up. Then he turned to the hovel. He picked up a pebble from the snow and knocked against the low door. There was no answer. He raised himself on tiptoe and knocked with his pebble against the pane too softly to break the glass, but loud enough to be heard. No voice was heard. No step moved. No candle was lighted. He saw that there, as well, they did not care to awake. The house of stone and the thatched hovel were equally deaf to the wretched. The boy decided on pushing on further, and penetrating the strait of houses which stretched away in front of him, so dark that it seemed more like a gulf between two cliffs than an entrance to a town. End of section 31 Recording by Lonnie Decker